A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fall. But those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. This is the word of the Lord. The Bible from which I've just read to you has 1,151 pages. There are 66 books in this Bible, of course, 39 of them in the Hebrew Scriptures and 27 in the Christian Scriptures. 1,151 pages. The lectionary is an attempt to lift up the most significant passages in this whole book. Uh, Four scriptures each Sunday for three years. One from the Hebrew Scriptures, one from a gospel, one from an epistle, and one from the book of Psalms. Four lections, 52 weeks in the year, times three years, 624. Out of the 1,151 pages, 624 passages that are considered by our scholars the most important passages in the book. Now, you know that I think you can't do justice to that many texts in a three-year period, so I've expanded the lectionary to nine years. And every nine years, I do the best I can to preach on those 624 texts. But out of all of those 624 Only two of them come from the book of Proverbs. Just two. Probably the reason for that is that if you lift one proverb out of context, you can encourage people to do almost anything. I told you for each proverb, there's usually a corollary proverb, and you need to hear both of them together. If you lift one verse out, it might say something like, be like the ant, work, 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 winter's coming. But there's another that says, don't get too busy to smell the roses. And so you need to take one, but you also need to hear the other. So this is one of those 624 texts of only two that come from the book of Proverbs. Our scholars believe there's something very important in the few verses that we read together. Number one, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord, and that translates, remember, the name given to Moses at the burning bush, the Eye Asher Eye, the I am who I am, made them both. He made them all. And if God made us all, then we are related. We are related, brother and sister, together. As I read this text, I kept remembering one of Harvey McKay's columns, and I started looking back through some materials I had saved. And surely enough, three months ago, he had written in a column in the Tulsa World about going to a big state fair where they were having a horse pulling contest. I heard just this week that we're three weeks now from the Tulsa State Fair. Uh, We usually go and take grandchildren to see the animals and so on. In many of the big state fairs, they have contests. Sometimes it's a tractor pull or a pickup pull, and sometimes it's a horse pull. And in this case, all the big draft animals from that area of the state had come for contests. And they were first uh, hooked up, each one of them, to a thousand pound sled. They could all move that one. And then the weights were added 500 pounds at a time 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000, 3,500, 4,000. At 4,000, only two 
animals could move the sled. One at 4,000. When they added 500 pounds more, one of those two couldn't move it. So second place moved 4,000 pounds. First place moved 4,500 pounds. And then someone had the bright idea of hooking these two horses together to a common weight. Now, it was assumed that if one could pull 4,000 pounds and the other could pull 4,500 pounds, then perhaps together they could pull 8,500 pounds. The onlookers were a little surprised to find they moved 8,500 pounds rather easily. And so they added 500 and they moved 9,000, then 9,500, then 10,000, then 10,500, then 11,000, 11,500. They moved 12,000 pounds. That's called synergism. Synergism. That one animal pulling 4,000 and the other pulling 4,500, when hooked together, could move 12,000 pounds. And then he quoted a Rudyard Kipling poem. He said that this is used often by Phil Jackson, uh, who's coached quite successfully the Los Angeles Lakers over the years. Rudyard Kipling wrote these words back in 1895. Now, this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, and the wolf that shall break it must die. For the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Each one important, but all together important for the one. Dr. Ada Robinson chose to design our stained glass windows with two primary flowers. If you look up on the mosaic behind me, you will find that pattern duplicated. There are five little round flowers, one above the other. In all the stained glass windows, there are five flowers. They are Coreopsis. Those of you who go down to Riverside, particularly there at 31st Street Bridge, in the springtime you'll see the wildflowers blooming, these beautiful Coreopsis and she said the Coreopsis is like the church when all the Christians have come together. All those down-sweeping white ones that you see in the windows and you see replicated in the terrazzo floors, that's the tritoma. And she said a tritoma is like a Christian out there by herself, by himself, vulnerable. You can blow on a tritoma, shake it a little bit, and the petals fall off. But not the little Coreopsis. It withstands the hottest blast of an Oklahoma summer and the coldest blast of an Oklahoma winter and comes up and blooms the next break. One Christian alone, vulnerable, weak even. Christians together, God's people together, strong, strong. Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Rich and poor have something in common. The I am who I am made us all. Second thing I underlined here. Favor is better than silver or gold. Now, I found it interesting here that uh, a rabbi friend of mine told me one time in a discussion when I kept mentioning the word grace. He kept saying, now, now, wait, wait a second. Grace is not our word. That's your word. Grace is a Christian word. Well, I always read what the rabbis have translated their scriptures into English when I'm preaching from the Hebrew scriptures. And I'd read this one this week. The Tanakh, it's called, is the most recent uh, translation by the rabbis here in the United States, the reform rabbis. 
And they translated this word favor as grace. They translated it grace. Grace is better than silver or gold. The verse isn't very specific here. Is it God's grace better than silver or gold? Is it our graciousness toward each other that's better than silver or gold? I think it's both, don't you? When I got back from General Conference that occurred this year down in Fort Worth, uh, Texas, I told you a number of things that happened, but one of the people I didn't tell you about that I want to mention this morning was named Kira. She's a young Russian pastor. You know, the Soviet Union started falling apart in 1989. There was a greater freedom in the Soviet Union that had been there before, and we Methodists built a seminary in Moscow. This young woman felt the call of God to be a pastor when she was 14. She said, I knew it. I knew God was telling me deep in my heart I was supposed to be a pastor. So as soon as she could get into college, she went to college and then she went on to our Methodist seminary in Moscow. I thought I had done really well when I was graduated from seven years of college. By the time I was 24, she did that by the time she was 23. And the Methodist church in Russia sent her to a town right on the Siberian border to be chaplain at a hospital. And she stood in front of this big group of Methodists down in Fort Worth. The Oklahoma delegation had a really good seat this time, so we were right up close and I could see her face. I could see her eyes really, really well as she told this story. How difficult it's been. She said, some of you women think you have a tough time being seen as a minister. You ought to be in Russia, she said, where for years and years there were no officially recognized clergy. And when clergy were allowed to parade themselves in the streets again, they were usually very old men with big bushy beards leading the Orthodox Church. Kira, 23 years old, beautiful young woman, trying to be a pastor in a little town right on the Siberian border. She said it's so really difficult there are very poor medical facilities there and been in this hospital. Drugs not always available that the people need, not highly skilled people there at every position. Her job to be chaplain to that hospital. But I remember, and this was later printed up for us in our, in our Daily Christian Advocate, she said, the only way I can walk into that hospital day after day is knowing that God wants me to do well. God wants me to do well. I have the grace of God is another way of saying it. I know I have the favor of God, but so does every person I will visit that day. So does every person with whom I will work that day. Every person who's an employee of the hospital and every patient who desperately needs, in most cases, more than they can have in that hospital. That's supposed to make a difference in the way you eat your breakfast in the morning, you see. If you really believe that, that you have the grace and the favor of Almighty God. But so does everybody else, rich or poor. Everybody else, God wants the very best for that person. Everyone. Number three, those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Um, 
Often in my prayer, just before we receive the offering, I say, of course, that God's book says there's an even greater blessing in being a giver than being a receiver. It really is there. One of the scholars I read this week said that Paul uh, was thinking of this particular passage when he wrote that second letter to the Corinthian church and talked about how God loves a cheerful giver. A generous person who shares his or her bread with the poor. Brock Kidd wrote about last Christmas. Uh, the company for which he worked was having a big holiday party. And he and his wife went to this party. He said it was a drizzling rain right at 32 degrees. And uh, the company had rented the museum, a big art museum there in their community. And, you know, you can have parties at Gilcrease and you can have parties at Philbrook. Uh, beautiful place to have a party and enjoy wonderful food and drink and see these uh, treasures that are here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was that kind of place and where Brock Kidd lives. And he said his, he and his wife pulled up in front of the art museum. There were valet parkers there. Well, it was wonderful, he said. So we jumped out of the car. But as we jumped out of the car and started to hurry inside, I noticed that the man who was getting into my car to park it was older than my father. Felt a little bad about that, he said, that a man twice my age was in that freezing rain parking my car so that my wife and I could rush in and enjoy the party. But when we got inside, it was warm and everything was beautiful and the food was delicious. And we were enjoying seeing all of our friends, people with whom we work. When suddenly he said, I saw my boss man over at the carving table and I started making my way through the crowd. But by the time I got there. He was not there. So I asked the man who was carving these different meats, uh, did you notice the man in the certain suit with a certain tie who was here just a moment ago? Did you see which way he went? And the man who was carving said, yes, he's now made four or five trips out into the rain to carry food to the people who are parking the cars. And Brock said, I never had seen that in my boss before, never had seen that. And I tell you, I thought a lot more of him from that moment on. Once I got inside, I forgot about the valet parkers, but he had not. And he was taking them food off the table, getting it out to them who were not getting to participate in any other way. We have so many opportunities to be generous with those who have less. And this book, God's book says, blessed are those who are generous and share their bread with the poor. Okay, number four. It's really the first verse that I read to you, but I've saved it to number four. When I look at these things, they sort of fit or don't fit, and the order sometimes is varied for me. But I wanted to save until last that part about the good name. The good name, having a good name, is to be chosen rather than great riches. Michael Dalba. You know that name, Michael Dalba? I didn't know that name. But Michael wrote recently about graduating from college. His degree was in art. He wanted to be a painter. But he said, I was a young bohemian of sorts. I had accumulated a little bit of money, and I decided I should celebrate graduation by going to some other part of the world. And I, like others my age, didn't have any particular religion. I'd heard about some of the Eastern religions, so I bought a ticket all the way to Calcutta, India. 
I only had what I had in a backpack on, on my shoulders. I figured I had enough money maybe for 30 days or so. So I started walking through the streets of Calcutta when suddenly two little children confronted me. Dickens would have called them urchins, he said, little street urchins, dirty faces. They were begging for money. But I noticed when they held up their hands to beg for money, their fingers were just nubs. And I must have been staring because the little girl said to me, we are lepers. Will you help us? We are lepers. And he said I was about to turn away when suddenly she said, come with me. You can eat with us. And so he said, I somehow was drawn to follow them. They went just a couple of blocks, he said, and then knocked at a door. A nun opened the door and said, oh, please come in. This is our orphanage. We have children who live here and we have others like these two who just come for mealtime. Come in and eat with us. The young man walked in with his backpack, not really knowing what he should do next, when suddenly this nun said, would you like to meet the woman who runs our orphanage here? And he nodded, yes, he guessed so. And suddenly this little woman walked out, weighed about 85 pounds, had a white outfit on with a little bit of blue trim around the top of her habit. And she said, I'm Mother Teresa. He said, I have to admit, I'd never heard the name. I didn't know who she was. But I somehow was led to say, may I help you, Mother Teresa? And she asked, are you a doctor? No. Are you a nurse? No. Are you a social worker? No. Then what do you think you can do for me? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. And she said, ah, I have a place for you. I have a place for you. We have a place where people go who are dying. In your country, I think you call it hospice. This is a place where people are terminally ill and we do the best we can for them. I think even you could do that, she said. A little cool cup of water bathed somebody's brow. She told him exactly how to get there and he went. He said he'd never really been around dying people before. But he spent his whole 30 days, day after day, working there, offering a drink of water, bathing a brow, letting people talk. He was out of money, so he caught a plane home. Went back to his home in New Jersey. Home says, moved into an artist loft in a place there and started trying to make a living as a painter. He was really running out of money now, but one day he was going through one of the old closets there and he saw a painting. A painting. It had initials down in one corner, D.H., and he said, I remembered studying this fellow's work, David Hockney, David Hockney. This was a David Hockney painting. I was sure it was a David Hockney painting. And he said, I rushed to Sotheby's as fast as I could get there. And they verified. Yes, it was, in fact, a David Hockney. Now, he said, David Hockney doesn't get millions of dollars for his paintings, but Sotheby's got me $18,000 for that painting. And I bought a plane ticket to Calcutta. And I went to see Mother Teresa and I said, I'm I'm back. She smiles and said, you a doctor now? No. You a nurse? No. You a social worker? No. Then what can you do for me? And he said, I don't know, but I'm back. And she said, well, the little villages need a guy like you more than I do. 
get on a train and ride to one of the smallest towns in India and see if you can help them. And he said, I started to shake her hand and she simply smiled and said, the Lord will show you what to do next. The Lord will show you. Get on the train. And he said he rode a train for ten and a half hours and got off in a little village. He was the only American that he saw. And he started meeting people. They asking him, you a doctor? No. You a nurse? No. You a social worker? No. Then how can you help us? And he asked, what do you need most? We need a doctor. We need a nurse. We need medical care. And he discovered his $18,000 would go a lot farther in this little village than it would in New Jersey. And with their help, he built a 30-bed hospital in that little town. Started raising more money and more money from friends back in New Jersey. And the little hospital is still running. Michael Dalby. You know that name? I didn't know that name. But in India, it's a good name. 